Good morning. What a great day, isn't it? Praise the Lord. This uh, sermon is entitled, It Takes an Incarnation to Solve Some Problems. And the text that was just read to you from John chapter 1 is actually, maybe surprisingly, this is the Christmas story according to the Gospel of John. If you can imagine a Christmas story where everything that surrounds the story is taken away. We don't meet any shepherds here abiding by their, you know, their flocks by night. We don't find any angels here appearing. We don't find Joseph or Mary, donkey. We don't find wise men leaving gifts. None of the things that we associate and kind of the, the, the feel of Christmas for us is in this text. What we have here is actually the, the heart of the Christian message. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the heart of what the Christian gospel is, isn't it? And in fact, uh, if you look at this text itself, it, this text is really about the importance of our, those of us, particularly those graduating on in the ministry, of never forgetting the central fact of the incarnation in who we are and what we proclaim. John himself opens up this text with all the familiar language of Genesis. Uh, Genesis 1, you have the, the very opening phrase, in the beginning, the, the words word, light, darkness, all of the key words of Genesis 1 are found in this passage. And yet he's also draws upon a very powerful word uh, of their own time, uh, the word uh, logos from Middle Platonism, this uh, kind of ethereal concept that he enfleshes. So no, 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 this was actually God becoming flesh in Jesus Christ. In some way, I think that uh, the whole of the world's challenges come down to understanding this, the importance of the incarnation, because there's some problems only an incarnation can solve. And ultimately, the gospel is about problems that only his coming into earth can solve. This also comes to us in a secondary way through the very word of God itself. Because not only do we have the word made flesh, but he's also given us his word, which is itself, like this text, a bridge between the eternal and the world that we live in. And if you ever have the opportunity to go into the New York Public Library, this is the largest public library in America. It's one of the most beautiful architectural sites on the planet. And you walk into the New York Public Library, this is a massive, expansive building, the marble steps. You go into the rotunda, and there you see uh, massive uh, murals on the wall, or on the ceiling, the first of which is Moses coming down Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. You have people that are huddled in shame and fear because of the, the smoke and the lightning of that time, but God's word being brought down to people. The second scene is a picture of, of monks uh, you know, copying the scriptures. In the background, you see windows through which you see uh, buildings on fire. Europe is, of course... Uh, ablaze. Europe is being sacked and the monks are there copying God's word. The third scene is a picture of the Gutenberg press and the printing of God's word. 
And right there in that, in that scene in our own the New York Public Library, you see the very power of the incarnation as it comes to us through God's word, that it comes to us to bring, you know, Moses and the Ten Commandments bring moral clarity. The monks copying God's word in the midst of a, a culture in demise, bring cultural stability. And then the, the great Gutenberg Press printing the Bible out, bringing education and literacy. This is the great Christian heritage of our civilization. But also learn yet another level of the incarnation is in our own lives. Because we are, in fact, as ministers of the gospel, and as Christians in general, we are the incarnation in seed form. We are the only representation that people will ever see of Christ in many people's situation and lives. When I became a pastor, my first appointment was to a small uh, rural four-point circuit in North Georgia mountains. I had never pastored a church in my life. I never really preached a sermon other than like in the homiletics classes like that Stacy teaches so faithfully for us. And I never forget the night or the, the afternoon actually, I got the phone call and it rang and it was the district superintendent of the line. And he was telling me where I would be sent in my first pastorate. And so I had my pen out, you know, we're kind of shaking hands, like, you know, here am I, send me, where will I go? And he said to me, yeah, you're going to the Nakuchi, you know, I'm at okay, wait a minute, okay, spell it again, Nakuchi, I spell it N-A-C-O-C-H-E-E. And then I thought it was over, and also you're going to the Loudsville, you're also going to the Chattahoochee Methodist Church, you're also going to the Mount Pleasant Methodist Church. I was getting four churches. I'd never preached my life, and suddenly I was a pastor of four churches, they were all very tiny churches in the mountains of North Georgia. I grew up in the urban jungle of Atlanta. I grew up in a very urban environment. Uh, I would step over the homeless to get into church on Sunday morning. I had, to be honest with you, I'd never put a fishing line in the water in my life. I found out very rapidly, to, in order to have effective ministry in that part of the country, that I had to spend time with people doing things I had never done before. It takes an incarnation to solve some problems. I had to come incarnate in that situation. And I'll never forget when I was finally uh, taking out my first fishing trip. And we were there on the banks of the river with my, one of my parishioners, H.T. Halford, and we're there, and um, we put the line in, and he was catching fish. I wasn't catching anything. And so he said to me, he said, you know, the, the, your problem, you, I'll get, you know, like a little nibble, and I would I'll, you know, try to, no, 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 that's not how it works. He's got to be patient. He said, when you're fishing and the fish comes, here Jesus says, go be fishers of men. I didn't realize he meant that literally. I was learning how to fish as a pastor. So he said to me, when the, when the fish begins to nibble on the hook, just give it time. Let him take the hook a little bit. And then when the right time comes, set the hook. And you'll catch him. Okay, okay, got it. So I was fishing and little thing, the thing's bobbling there on the water top, you know, and suddenly it goes down, and he says, don't, 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 react too quick. And it started eating the, and then he says, okay, set the hook. Well, I didn't know what it meant, set the hook, so I just, boom, like that. <laughs> the poor fish, he flew out of the water, he became a flying fish, he flew out from the banks, out of the water, he flew over my head, rounded the tree next to me, he made at least, at least two uh, trips around the tree, came off of the hook, and back down in the water again. 
my uh, parishioner said to me, I wonder what he'll tell his wife tonight when he gets home. <laughs> but I was learning something about, you know, the nature of ministry. And as I learned and got to know these people and love these people, they needed the gospel incarnate into their world. And I had some of my most, as a year, I was there six years, uh, and some of my amazing gospel moments. Yes, this man who grew up in a concrete jungle. I had mo gospel moments with me, like in waders, you know, and all this, out in the middle of a river somewhere. And I, I led people to the Lord in like that. I remember one time leading a man to the Lord on the, on the, in, his, in a trailer uh, on our faces on a, on a bearskin rug. And by the way, being watched by several taxidermied animals around us. The great, that was the new great crowd of witnesses I'd never known before. <laughs> it takes an incarnation to solve some problems. Our daughter, Bethany, is a, a missionary to the Alagua people. And if you go down to the Wycliffe headquarters in Orlando, uh, Wycliffe has a, a massive banner that comes down and, and from the ceiling of their main headquarters there, and they have a, a celebration of their, what they call a 2025 goal, which is to translate the Bible into the last 1,870 languages that remain with no word of God in them. And our daughter, uh, really had a burden from 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 smallest age uh, to be a, a missionary. God called her, and so she wanted to go where no one had ever gone before with the gospel. And so she eventually, there's a people group called the Alagua in north central Tanzania, and this people group, uh, there have been several attempts to. Uh, to learn this, you know, people go to that language group, uh, but they always preach the gospel to them in Swahili. This group can't stand Swahili. Even though it's East Africa, Tanzania is kind of the heart of Swahili Africa, they don't want uh, Swahili, they don't believe in Swahili, they think it's an interruption to their cultural life. So be someone, you know, trying to speak, preach to you in Spanish, they just weren't going to accept it. No one's taking the time to actually live amongst these people and learn their language. Now, if you've gone back, uh, she's now been there five years, but five years ago, on that same uh, Wycliffe chart, it didn't say a log, it said the, the Wasi, they were called the Wasi. My daughter was originally sent to work among the Wasi and learn the language of the Wasi in a place called Kwame Debe. So when she was there, you know, living with them, and after, of course, she arrived there not knowing how to say hello, you know, so learning the language just takes years. And at some point into the year or two, she is able to converse with them, and she said to them something like, it's such so wonderful to be working among the Wasi. And they said, what do you mean Wasi? We're not Wasi. You're not? No. Outsiders call us Wasi, but we're a Lagwa. That's what we are. We're a Lagwa. Oh, okay. Um, well, it's good to be here living in Kwame Debe. And she already lived there for probably two years. You don't live in Kwame Debe. I don't. No, you don't live in Kwame Debe. Like someone said, you don't live in Wilmore. Um, well, where's the log? Oh, well, Kwame Debe is over there, on that hill over there. There's people living over there, but you live in a place called Elo. And over there is, uh, over there is Gara, and over there is Hado. They had names for all the little villages, and the outsiders just called the whole thing Kwame Debe. You see, the point is, as she got into the village and into their life and learned their language, 
and she begins to understand the world from their side, their perspectives, their beliefs, their traditions, everything. And slowly the gospel is coming into that place. I never forget the first time she had the opportunity to preach the gospel there. They, they, they had their, you know, they were there, of course, several years learning the language, and finally they had their first service to preach the gospel to the Alagua people. This will be the first time this people group has ever heard the gospel in their own language, ever, in the history of the world. And our daughter uh, was chosen to, to actually preach that first sermon. So they were, you know, all prepared for it and all the various events leading up to that. And so the day came and some, some Christians from other villages that were not part of this language group came over to support them. And the team was there, of course, that was, was working with the Alagua. And so there's, you know, a little 15 or 20 people there. But only three Alagua showed up to that service. And then during the course of my, my daughter and some of her friends had actually written some, some worship music the first worship songs in this language. It must not have been very good because during the worship, two of the three left. So the only thing, when it came time for the actual preaching the sermon, there was just one Alagua man there because no one else knew the language. So my daughter was sitting thinking, oh gosh, this is a little unusual. It would be as if I showed up today and there was just, you know, there you were, there was, there was Kevin. What do I do? I had that at church one time, by the way, one of those small churches. <laughs> one person showed up, so, you know, <laughs> it's not unprecedented. <laughs> but um, what do you do? Well, you do what you're supposed to do. You preach the gospel, don't you? And um, later, where she is, there's no telephone or electricity or running water or whatever, but she has a, uh, you know, they can go out of the village, and she has contact with us. So she came out of the village at one point and called us and told us the story about what happened. And she said, Daddy, she said, when it came time for me to preach, there was only one man there. I said, Bethany, isn't that a great testimony to the power of the incarnation? That, that here's the eternal God of the universe who would take a young lady who graduated from Houghton College and would send her all the way to Tanzania to preach the gospel to one man. That's the importance and the power of the gospel message in the world. It's the message that brings moral clarity. It's the message that brings the gospel of salvation, cultural stability. It gives hope. This is the message that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. And never forget that our lives are in fact the incarnation in seed form. As we come to the table, Dr. Minger will lead us in the, uh, the, the Eucharist. But there's no better example and testimony to this truth than right here that we take the bread and the cup, we're reminded it takes an incarnation to solve some problems. If Christ had not become incarnate and then given us of his life and his blood, then there would be no hope for the world. We take the bread, we go out into the world as his life and his hope into the world. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the power of the gospel. We thank you, O oh God, that you, the word did become flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. May we go forth as the seeds of the incarnation into a lost world and incarnate 
the gospel and the good news of the gospel through our deeds and our lives and our thoughts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.